Yeah, you saw it. I mean, this is entirely leaves. No, I get that. I get that. Okay, the Seder. We are Parshas Emar. It starts at chapter 21 in Chomish Vayikra. Okay. Parshas Emar is a pretty long Parsha, and we can easily divide it into two themes. Okay. The first half of the Parsha is very, very much going to be talking about, we're going to go into the Parsha also. And the first part of the Parsha is talking a lot about Kohanim um, and the end of uh, rules of sacrifices. The second major part of the Parsha talks about, it's the readings for all the Yom Tovim. So you have the reading for Shabbos and Rosh Chodesh and Rosh Hashanah and all the, every single Chag. Okay, and we're looking at that a little bit because it's going to go in order. It's going to start from Shabbos. It's going to go to Rosh Chodesh. Then we have Pesach and the Omer offering and then Shavuot. So we're going to go through this, uh, there. Sandwiched between the Kohanim and the, and, the, and the holidays, which is basically at the end of the third Aliyah. So I don't know who. I'm, let me see if I have a chapter and verse for it because we're going to touch on it a little bit. Uh, one second. Oh, the end of like chapter 22, verse 32, okay, talks about not, it talks about not to desecrate the name of Hashem, and I will be sanctified amongst the people, which is the mitzvah that we have of Kiddush Hashem and Chil Hashem, to make a Kiddush Hashem and not to make a Chil, uh, and not to make a Chil Hashem, I'm losing my words, right, not to desecrate Hashem's name and to make a Kiddush Hashem, we're going to touch on that briefly. And at the end of the Parsha, the end of uh, Parsha, we have two more uh, things going on. It's really, it's a long Parsha. It's like maybe not as long as like a double Parsha, but it's really very long. The end of it, we have, um, we have, a, we have the mitzvah, um, one second, where am I? We have the mitzvah, we have the idea of lighting the menorah. And um, and uh, the end of it, and we have we have a, we have the mitzvah of the menorah. We have the mitzvah of lechem hapanim, the putting the baking of the twelve loaves of bread that go on the table every single Shabbos. And at the end of the parsha, we have a nice random odd story thrown in just for good luck. We have a story of somebody who goes out into the camp and he curses God. And um, and they don't know what to do with him. And uh, we're gonna get to that story at the end. And that is basically, and then it has a little, partial. so it's a very, 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 very long partial. Okay, that was the click notes of what's going on over here. Um, in case you hear, uh, if you, in case you hear planes going, that's the background noise for our class today. Um, as we celebrate, there is no war. As we celebrate Yom Atzmut here in Israel, I'm just saying if anybody on the recording ends up hearing background noise, it sounds weird. It's planes flying overhead. And if anybody wants to run out and see planes, I will totally hear it because I get it. I get the, I get the like, oh gosh. Um, okay. But we won't know. No, 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 no. They're not chopping anything. Okay. Okay. So Bethsaida. So let's go back to the beginning, chapter 21. Let's kind of follow through and see what's happening. So the beginning of the Parsha, Parsha's Emmer. Starts with Hashem says to Moshe, 
speak to the Kohanim, the children of Aharon, and tell and speak to them and tell them that they can't come in contact with a dead person, um, with a corpse. And the only people that a Kohen can come in contact with are his seven basic relatives. So the person who's closest to him, which is the wife, his father, his mother, his son, his daughter, and his brothers, or his unmarried sister. Okay, so those are like who a Kohen is allowed to come in contact with the dead for. Did that make sense in English? Yeah. Right, which means coming in contact with the dead means going to funerals, going to cemeteries, going to hospitals. Okay, all that kind of stuff is all part of the things that Kohanim are not allowed to do. Um, interesting fun fact that in Israel, if you ever go to the hospital, and you should only go to like visit people who just had babies and fun stuff, but sometimes you will see outside the hospital, either it's an electric board or something where it says Azharal Kohanim. It's a warning to Kohanim that they cannot come into the building. If there's somebody who died in the hospital and is being transported through the hospital, the whole building becomes a tent and anybody who comes in becomes to make not a problem for Kohanim. So it's only a question of somebody, if there's a body transport, that Kohanim can't come in there. How's that for a cool fun fact, right? But then, then it becomes like, one second, but I'm saying it does become uh, challenging for Kohanim to go and spend you know, you don't really want your doctors to have not done the studies that they should have done. Question, yeah, comments. Oh, that was oh, it? Yeah, that was okay. So, I, I mean, listen, I've, I've heard, I don't know for sure, but I've heard that there are some schools that are actually going to virtual studying, but they don't actually use actual cadavers. But I, it would be, it would be, a, it would definitely be a challenge for Colin to, 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 to make it through medical school. What would you do to, like, if a Kohen is a doctor and has to assist with an emergency situation, if there's a chance that the person might not make it, are they obligated to excuse themselves from the situation unless the person okay. dies? Okay, I, I am not a, I am not a, a codifier. I'm not a halakha codifier. But I would imagine that the questions have to be asked be, beforehand. And if I was to give you my sense of the situation is that once you, ask, you know what I'm saying? Once you're in, you can't say, oh, the person might, you know, I die, I can't do this. So, but that's like not an actual halachic uh, ruling. That's just my take on the subject. Okay. Uh, and then it's going to continue. We're going we're gonna to come back to the beginning of the part, but I want to actually finish. Then we have a whole list of people of, 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 oh my gosh, I'm tripping over my words. We have a whole list of people that, sorry, first we have a question that he can't be, uh, he can't become, who, then we have a question. I'm sorry, I'm totally, okay. take a deep breath, start sweating. Thank you, I appreciate it. Um, so first of all, uh, we have, the, once we have a conversation that he has to stay pure, there's all sorts of prohibitions at the coin, which we have had given to all Jewish people. Nobody's allowed to make bald pat. We don't get that, but you know the expression, tearing your hair out? It was actually something that in biblical times people did as a sign of mourning. So a Kohen is not is doubly enjoined not to make bald patches for the for the dead and not to make cuts in their arms and all these kind of things that were signs of mourning they're not allowed to. Parenthetically, 
nobody's allowed to. So it's interesting that we have an addition, additional uh, prohibition for the, for the Kohanim. Talks about who a Kohen may or may not marry, who a Kohen Gadol may or may not marry. Um, I'm a little bit confused. Where'd you get up to? Um, so you're saying the way that it's written is, because oh, when I read it, I wasn't paying that much attention to the detail, but it's written as the Kohanim specifically shouldn't do these things. So I just here know about everyone. So this, the introduction to Parsha's Emar is specifically to Kohanim. Mm-hmm. It happens to be in other places it talks about Jews are, nobody's allowed to no do it. No one's allowed to do it. So, the, so it repeats it here in the context where we're, where we're coming on to the conversation of Kohanim and what they are and what they are allowed to do and what they're not allowed to do. And there's special prohibitions and special, uh, be, special, special for everything. So there's certain things that are a, a Kohanim. Is, it's beneficial. And there are certain places where it's much harder to be a Kohanim. Um, and, you know, when it comes to who you're allowed to marry, it becomes harder if you're a Kohen. Um, it becomes much harder if you're a Kohen Gadol. Um, th- then we talk about who's allowed to serve, who's allowed to serve in the Beis HaMikdash, in the temple, who's allowed to do the service. So we have anybody, any Kohen with any kind of blemish is not allowed to, is not allowed to do the service. And it doesn't matter if it's a temporary blemish, like I brushed, no, I'm not a brush. <laughs> I broke my foot. Or it's something that you're born with, like if somebody who's born with uneven limbs is not allowed to do the service in the temple, they're allowed the sacrifices, but they're not actually allowed to be the conduit for the sacrifices, which is something I think in 2022 we struggle with. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it seems A, not fair, and B, like we shouldn't be judging people by what they look like and their ability or super abilities or however you want to label it. Like we shouldn't be, uh, they shouldn't be, prohibited from doing things, you know, in God's house, everything has to be perfect and everything has to be beautiful and everything has to be special. And then you're like, well, so like, we kind of understand, I mean, I kind of understand, like somebody breaks their leg and it's going to heal. You understand like, okay, Sababa, like wait a couple of weeks or a couple of months and you'll go back to your service. Like we understand like that's a temporary something, but something that you're born with, like God did that. Like, why should that invalidate you for the service? God did it. And you had no say in the matter. We're not talking about things that people have done to themselves that maybe make them like, you know, there are different things that people can do to themselves that make them invalid to do. It's considered a blemish halakhically. Right. But this is something that God made you this way. And so then that, I think we struggle. Maybe not we. I definitely struggle with this a lot. Like somebody's born with uneven limbs, like, they had no say in this. They had nothing to do with this. And, and, and then therefore, why should they be invalid to the service? So the classic answer is like, things have to be perfect in the house of God. And, you know, anybody or anything that's going to deflect from the purpose is, um, is, is, shouldn't be there. And so we could say, okay, it's so like 75 years ago and people would gawk and stare and didn't know how to interact with people who had disabilities. Like we hear that, but like Torah speaks for all generations and that isn't the truth of a situation. Shouldn't we be trying to overcome that anyway? Nahan, 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 So I'm saying, I understand that in biblical times, this was like the norm, perhaps, shall we say, even going back a few, you know, probably not so long ago, I would say, you know, easily under 200 years, people had children with disabilities, you know, no, no, what I'm going to say. So, so then the question is, but like today we're in, it's such a different place. And so where we, where's, 
you know, to use modern terminology, where's the inclusion? Where's the place for these people in the temple service? So what's interesting is that um, I saw a commentary from the Zohar and it talks about how uh, all souls, and I don't hundred percent understand this. So I'm like working this out with you as I say it, um, that all souls come God looks at the, has two ways that he interacts with the world as far as souls are concerned. You have the ones that are full moon shine brightly, and then you have the ones that reflect the moon when it's hidden and you can't really see what's going on. Now we all know that when the moon is hidden, it isn't not there. It just, we can't see it all. And so different souls reflect different levels of revelation of Hashem. So that souls that are put into bodies that are whole represent more revelation souls that rep- that are put into bodies that are less whole i don't know how to say such a thing but you know whatever all different kinds of things you know all different kind all different kinds of physical handicaps that people are born with where they're representing a level of hashem where his light is more hidden that means it doesn't mean that they are less it just means that they are representing a light of hashem that is not so revealed. And so that's why when you when it comes time to do the service in the temple, which talks about the revelation of Hashem, revelation and revelation uh, have to match up. When it comes time to eating the sacrifices, which is referring to a hidden level of Hashem, where Hashem re, re, uh, reacts, not reacts, that's the wrong word, where, where Hashem interacts with the world in a more hidden level, there the souls that also come from a more hidden level of Hashem have uh, have have their space to 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 they can they can affect whatever has to happen by 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 eating sacrifices because that's coming from a different level of Hashem. I'm not trying 100 you know understand it. Um, there is definitely you know we know that the, the bracha is that when Mashiach comes, all all the people who can't see will be able to see and everybody will be healed. So please God, when Mashiach comes, none of these issues will be revealed on a revealed level, be issues for us to deal with. We'll just be able to like study them in abstract terminology and say like, that's so interesting as opposed to like knowing people could be a Kohen, but would be able to serve in the base of Ikdash, but they would in fact be able to eat from the sacrifices. It's a kind of like, I, I don't know how satisfied I am with that answer. I'm going to be honest. I have to like digest it more and sit with it a little bit more, but, but it makes a little bit more sense to me than just to say, everything has to be perfect in the house of God. And they're not perfect. Like that, that language does not sit well with me. So that's why I'm bringing this here. We could, we could, you know, you know, discuss it more, but I want to, I want to move on. But I think it's something that I'm still gestating. So that's kind of where. I am with that, but I wanted to share it anyway. Could you throw me the tissues, please? Thanks. Um, okay, then we talk about the, who they can and can't marry, and then the next thing that we're going to talk about is uh, animals that you bring up for, you bring animals for sacrifice. Animals have to be 100% pure. They're not allowed to have any kind of damage. They're not allowed to have any kind of defect. Um, there's a difference between birds and the rest of the animals, but then it's, that's kind of like the next Aliyah really talks a lot about that. Um, and, okay. Wait, it's not allowed. Like the that's the next thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nachon, it's also not allowed to. Nachon, Nachon, Nachon. 
so we don't call humans defective today. Like we just really don't say that, you know, like that's just not the language that we use. Um, uh, but that and, is difficult, right? Because that is kind of what it's saying. Correct. Just correct. Don't use that language doesn't mean that. Correct. Which correct. Is uncomfortable. Which is uncomfortable. We don't use that language no. for a reason. So, but it's interesting, right? But it's interesting when you talk about the defects. It's very interesting. My son-in-law is a Kohen. He's a lefty. That's considered a defect. I'm like, dude, you better learn how to write with your right hand. Yes. In, in, when you talk about the defects, in the defect, in the, in the, in the, it's in the Gemara. It's more of the Gemara. Yeah, so like somebody who has a unibrow, it's considered defective. Somebody who's like, I'm just saying like, it's not only like, I'm just saying it's not only like, you know, it's very interesting. Stam is a random, random, interesting, you know, it's not a fun fact, it's just a fact, but it's interesting that FDR was an American president, you know, during, before and during World War II. And he was wheelchair bound because of polio. And whenever they took pictures of him, he insisted that the wheelchair not show because he felt that it wasn't, it didn't properly reflect the office of the president of the United States. It was not in Hebrew, Yiddishish, whatever. It wasn't Bakavadik. It wasn't befitting the president to look. Now you're right. That was a, a time where that was a different, we looked at people differently, but even so that place of understanding, like the place of distraction, again, does it sit so well with me? No, it doesn't. But it, but when you expand the, the, when you expand the, the, the places of, uh, when you talk about the, de the defects and you realize how wide they are, it's, it's a, it's, it is a broad, it's very, very broad. It's, it's not just like, Oh, you know, two different, you know, a leg, you know, limbs that are different, you know, leg, live limbs that are different lengths, right? There I said, it. it's not, that's not the only one. There's like a whole slew of things that, that would count as defects and it, yeah. Imperfect sight. Imperfect sight, yeah. Yeah. So, right, so I'm just saying, so what's interesting, so what's interesting is, you know, and there's a part of us, there's a part of us that's like, that comes up with the, it's not fair. And part of us says it, it isn't fair, but, but Hashem still has a role for every single one of us to play even if our role is not the same as the other person's role. And I think that's something that we have to somehow keep in our mind. Like there's a place for everybody to do, to do, to do, to be part of the symphony for Hashem. And this is, this is kind of, yeah, not so kef, but there you got it. Um, it also talks in part of the part of the sacrifice. It also talks about having it, your intentions when you bring the sacrifice have to be purposeful back to words like mindful and conscious. You need to, the Kohen cannot have intention at the time of bringing a sacrifice that either he's not going to eat it on time or he's having it in mind that it's going to be a different sacrifice. Like it has to be very purposeful or else the sacrifice is invalid. Okay. And then, um, okay, there's more sacrifices. Okay. And that's the third Aliyah. Okay, so oh, the, yes. Uh-huh-huh-huh-huh-huh-huh-huh-huh-huh-huh-huh-huh-huh-huh-huh-huh-huh-huh-huh-huh-huh-huh-huh-huh-huh-huh-huh-huh-huh-huh-huh-huh-
I don't know. Right. So I don't know. So Zoe's question is, can my son had laser surgery? So he has perfect eyesight now. Is that considered? I don't, I don't know. The answer is, I don't know. Okay. Yes. Okay. Huh? That's a good question, right? And especially because today we know there's so many things that are correctable and can be fixed. Doesn't make a difference. Some of it is, some of it is, no, some of it is cosmetic, but then you have the cosmetic that's just down vein and you have cosmetic that's really, you know, really important. Whatever. It's a question. Okay. I want to touch now for a little bit on Kiddush Hashem and Chil Hashem, which is chapter 22, verse 32. Okay. Where it says not to desecrate Hashem's holy name. And I will be sanctified in the midst of all the Jewish people. I'm Hashem who sanctified you. Um, and we know that uh, the Kiddush Hashem and Chil Hashem is always like these big words that they that we throw around as thou shalt not. You know, don't, you know, you're going to make a Chil Hashem, you're going to make a Chil Hashem. And, and it's very interesting that the place of, you know, Chil Hashem and Kiddush Hashem, which are, I guess, opposite sides of the same coin. When we do something, we make a Kiddush Hashem. And when we do the opposite, we make a Chil Hashem. We, the same act, you know, it depends on, I guess, even who's looking at it. So it's, what's interesting is that the idea of Kiddush Hashem, and Rashi brings it here, is always talking about a public situation. If you are by yourself and somebody says to you, break one of the laws that you're not allowed to break, and nobody's going to know about it, there's whole, the Rambam has like, my mind has had a whole conversation about when and what and blah, blah, blah. But the question of, kid, of making a Chil Hashem or having to go on Kiddush Hashem is predominantly in a public situation and be affected by it, or even if they're not going to be, but if they're going to be there, 10 people are there. If it's a, if it's a private conversation, you do not have to, you do not have to give up your life. You really do not have to give up your life. You have to go, you have to say, no, I'm not going to when it's public. The only exception that Maimonides talks about is if it's a time where the, and it's so interesting, like for us, it's so not real, but when he was talking, it was so real. When the gover- the government of the time, it's called Gezeir Shmad, when they're trying to get you to convert, then even if they tell you to change the way you, this is what, this is what my money says, if they tell you to change the way you tie your shoelaces, you should not give in. That's if the government is actively trying to convert you, which thank God, like it's such a, such a funny concept to us because we don't live in those situations, you know. Um, Baruch Hashem. Thank you, Abisha. I'm not complaining, really. Um, you know, thank you. That's not one of our challenges today. But but I think that the place of, of, of you know, so that's the Chil Hashem. Not to make a Chil Hashem is a, a public thing. But that place, that act of making a Kiddush Hashem could be in big, grand things. And it could be in little things. You know, it could be in, in you know, you know, we, there was a, there's a company called the Malden Mills. They were the first people to make a material called Polartec. If you're a skier, you might know about such a, such a material. And it's in Massachusetts. And um, the, the, and the factory and the factory burned down at one point. And they still paid their workers salaries for like a very long time, like till they're up and running way beyond the, the letter of law. It happens to be that the owners of the company are Jewish. It was a massive Kiddush Shem. But Kiddush Shem isn't only those big, massive places. You know, the question is what happens to, you know, letting somebody go in front of you? What about, you know, the, all those places of holding the door for the person who's behind you, you know, when you walk into a building, instead of just like, let it slam in their face, right? All of those little things are all places of Kiddush Hashem. 
And it's, and it's, it's easy to convince ourselves that because we're not doing big grand things, they're not important, but it's not true. Life is made up mostly of small things that we do on a regular basis. And when we practice walking around and saying good morning to people or saying, well, maybe not to some people who live in your neighborhood, because that's like a little, you guys live in a little bit of a sketchy place. I would say like to, 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 to be nice to people that you encounter, you know, the people who work in stores that you go to or places, just to like the place of being a mensch. All those things are ways of making Kiddush Shem on small scales. And when we exercise that muscle of doing things that make Hashem look good, then it's something that we, and it doesn't necessarily mean like, I'm going to die. I'm not, you know, you'll kill me. I'm, I'm not going, I'm not going to go against my religion. But that place of training ourselves to do the right thing is, is that's part of Kiddush Hashem. And I think it's a very powerful thing to, to think about. Um, okay, so from Ravi almost to the end, we have the introduction of all the holidays. And this is where the holiday readings are going to come from. So on Pesach, they're going to read from here. On Shavuos, they're going to come from here. Um, so if you look through, it's interesting that the first Moed, and Moed is a, an, an appointed time, right? The holidays are called Moadim because we set the calendar. But it's interesting that the first of the Moadim that they bring here is six days your work should be done. And on the seventh day, you should have Shabbos, which is actually not a moed. Okay. We do not set the time for Shabbos. Hashem set the time for Shabbos. And yet there's a place of, of, uh, there's a place of Shabbos that also goes into this category of all these, you know, of the, of all the special times. And the sages talk a lot about, um, how do we do things? We were having this conversation. Who's having a conversation? Maybe Zoe, maybe we're having a conversation with you. How do we make Shabbos special meaning there are there are things that we we um your things you're allowed to do and things you're not allowed to do but then within the things that you are allowed to do how do we make sure that we keep shabbos shabbos stick all the things that are prohibited, you shouldn't do, but all the things that are permissible, you should also like look into and make sure that it's Shabbos. Right. So it's interesting. There's a conversation in the sages about not doing business on Shabbos. So that means even if I can do my business without breaking any laws of Shabbos, depending on what my job is, right? If I'm a painter, then that's like not such a problem, you know, but if I could have meetings and I could have whatever, I'm not supposed to do that even if I'm not actually breaking any of the laws because it's against the spirit of Shabbos. You know, we had, was I having a conversation with you about time clocks? Who's having a conversation? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're okay. I was like, right. You know, is there anything technically wrong with putting your television on a timer and it goes on and watch it. Right. So it's like not technically wrong, but is it spirit wrong? Yes. It just feels wrong. It just, Okay, so I'm just saying, maybe, no, what I'm saying is, no, I'm not saying as a judgment. I'm not really, I'm not saying it as a judgment thing, but I'm just saying, <laughs> no, we're not saying it as a judgment. No, we're not saying, no, what I'm saying is the, the, the place of saying, how do I create Shabbos isn't just what can I do and what I can't do, but how do I create, how do I keep the place of Shabbos as being elevated and holy and connecting to Hashem. And that's going to be from, you know, I have this argument with my daughter all the time, which I don't actually hundred percent understand her on all her 
takes for this one. That food isn't Shabbos day. I'm like, what does that mean that food is not Shabbos day? Like we're having a conversation. Could we serve something on Shabbos? That's not Shabbos food. What does that mean? Okay. Like, yeah, like, oh, yeah, like yeah. burgers. I think the conversation is burgers. Not, it's not Shabbos thing. I'm like, uh, huh? I don't know. So, okay, so you agree with her, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't know. Is, is there any wrong with it? No. Is everybody happy to eat it? Yes. Is it Shabbos thing? Uh, things that are like fit for a king, right? So isn't the, it's just the difference is, would you serve this... Uh, like a royal meal? Right. So just listen. So the truth is we do make an effort with our food on Shabbos. You know, we do make an effort to have more and nicer and things, but but it's not a halacha. That's what I'm saying. The idea that food is or isn't Shabbos thick is not a halacha. It is an amazing sensitivity. Right. And you're right. I agreed with her. On, I agreed with her on, on the burgers, but I wasn't yeah. so sure about the meat sauce. It's dependent on like the person. Absolutely. Like, I think the burger is, is like awesome. Correct. Like, well, you make some really good. Good. Correct. Yeah. Correct. 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 So I'm saying it's not like, yes, you can or again. And to, to be able to cultivate that sensitivity, I think is a very, very special thing. And it doesn't matter. So the question there isn't, can I or can't I do it on Shabbos? But is it adding to the spirit of Shabbos or is it not adding to the spirit of Shabbos? I think maybe that's why Shabbos is included over here. The next thing we have here is Rosh Chode. Uh, no, uh, no, no, the first thing we have is Pesach. Yes. The whole thing about the Shabbos stuff, what's coming from Shabbos. Yeah, yeah. Included. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's not a moid. It's not something that we set the time for. Okay, we don't set the time for it. It is there all the time. Hashem does it all the time. So that's how I look at it. That's what I think about it. Um, so the first thing we have is Pesach, actually. So that's the sacrifices. After Pesach, we have the mitzvah of Omer. Okay, because we know that in biblical times, now we only count the Omer, but it's, that's actually a separate thing. But the first thing is to bring the carbon Omer, and the Gemara has a whole conversation about how they brought the carbon Omer. So we have that coming in here. And then we have, and we're not going to do this because we're not going to talk about because you've been talking about it for sure a hundred times. Uh, but in chapter 23, verse 15, we have Usfartim Lachem, Machrat HaShabbat, right? We've had this conversation 17 times. Please tell me yes about Sphira. Good. Um, from when you start bringing the Omer. So first we had about the Omer sacrifice. Now we have uh, to start counting. And then we have bringing the sacrifices. And then we have Shavuos. And then we're going to have um, Rosh Hashanah. He's going to pick up the fifth Ali is going to pick up with Rosh Hashanah, uh, which is described as a Yom Teruah. And then we have Yom Kippur, we have Sukkot, all the rest of the holidays are going on here. Then we have uh, Sukkot here, we have the whole Sukkot stuff going on. Chapter 24 picks up making the oil for the menorah. And um, and then we have uh, the, I said, like I said, we have the, the Lechem Apanim, the 12 loaves chapter in chapter 24, verse 5 and 6. And then we, they would switch it out on Shabbos. Okay, and then chapter 24, verse 10, uh, we have the story of a, a son of a Jewish woman who is also the son of an Egyptian woman, goes out amongst the Jewish people, and he's cursing in the camp, and um, he, curses, he curses God, and they don't know what to do with him. They don't know what to do with him, so they bring him to Moshe, and here the Torah identifies who his mother is, Shlomit Bativri, from the tribe of Dan, and they put him into jail, and they try to... Going to go speak to Hashem and find out what we do with this person. Um, now, the end of this story is that somebody who curses God, and I wanted to say before I say this that this isn't such an easy thing to do, is that he was punished to death by stoning. 
It's not so easy in Judaism to actually kill somebody. It has to be very, very willful. You have to have witnesses. You have to have warning. It has to happen right away. And the person also can't be like suicide by police. Like they can't be trying to kill themselves, but not want to kill themselves. So they're going to do something that the court is going to kill them. Because if that's the case, then the court's not allowed to kill them. So it's not so simple to actually get into this whole situation. Um, and then, so I want to stop on the story for a second, because frankly, it's a little bit of a weird story. Um, and, I'll, and, and here's, a, and I'm going to give you a, my take on the story. Okay. So the story is as follows. Uh, the Jewish people in the desert were camped according to tribes. Now this person, the tribe of Dan, but they said to him, the tribe said the tribe of Dan to him that, uh, tribe goes by father and you don't have a place here. And he says, but my mother is from the tribe of Don and my father is, is Egyptian. And they said, but you can't be here. And they have a court case. And in the court case, it is decided that he is not allowed to camp with the camp of Don. Okay. And we have the rest of the story where he goes out and he curses Hashem and he curses down the whole system and whatever the whole situation is. And he ends up getting killed. So that's the story. So here's my take on the story. This is 100% mine. You do not have to buy my, my chant at all. Uh, <laughs> so one of the things that we know about the tribe of Dan is that they are called in Torah later on in Chumash Bamidra, they're called Ma'asif L'chalamachanis. They're the ones that, uh, they're like the, the lost and found of the Jewish people. When the Jewish people traveled in the desert, the tribe of Dan went last and they were, they had the biggest tribe and they used to spread out across the, the camp, covered a 12 mile square maybe rectangle, but Bonagid, yeah, 12 miles across. So when they would travel, the tribe of Dan would spread across and they would uh, pick up, all, they were the lost and found, leave the desert as we found it, right? That was the tribe of Dan. They were in charge of picking up uh, things that they found. And what's interesting is that it tells us in Gemara that many, um, many converts somehow came out. One of the things they did is they collected souls. Like a lot of converts somehow, I don't know what it means that they came to the tribe of Dan, but that's what, that's what, uh, that's what it says. So my, my take on the situation is that sometimes you have a situation where you're legally right, right? Legally, they were right. This man did not have a place in the tribe of Don. He didn't. That, that he legally had, there was another place where people didn't have a tribe, Sababa. Legally, they, they had a leg to stand on. But emotionally, it feels like there was a place that they were not maybe doing payback, but like they ended up being the gathering for everything, for everybody, for all the people, for all the stuff, for all the everything. Uh, they became like the go-to address for all of those events and people specifically in the desert and later on through history that they were sort of a very inclusive kind of kind of tribe. And I wonder, and this is this is this is what my think is that in life sometimes we we are right legally, but we are not right emotionally. And perhaps did they end up in that position because they were so exclusive? Ex exclu no, 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 reverse. Ex ex not, well, but it, how is the exclusionary? Is there such a word in Harvard? They excluded the guy. They said, no, you, and legally they were right. He didn't have a place with them, but emotionally they maybe weren't right. And that's why they end up in a position of bringing things in, whether it was something that Hashem imposed on them or they took for themselves 
you know, of saying, wait a second, like we were, we were right, but we weren't. And I think like, for me, I take that as a lesson. Like there, there are times where letter of the law says to do one thing, but spirit of the law says, extend yourself. But and he, they ended up killing him. So the, the, the well, he, they didn't end up killing him. He ended up putting himself in a situation where he got killed. So could you say that when they said we were only standing on our right and then look where that led and he ends up getting killed, correct? And then they say, wait a second, maybe we could have handled this differently. Perhaps that was part of the part it of the logic. It doesn't seem like there's any implication that they were responsible for what happened. They are not. But it seems like what you're saying is like they do have a certain responsibility. So that's to what I'm saying. What is illegal. So that's what I'm saying. I haven't seen it. It's me. This is Rufko yeah. Margo's take. Okay. So I'm not saying this like as a halachic or I've seen this in really legit sources. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. really they had no legal reason to give him the space. But I just feel like as a life lesson for myself, it's just like, you know, this is my right. No, you can't do this. I really have. It. And sometimes is there a place for us to be more uh okay. To be, yeah, to be more open, to be more forgiving, to be more, I'm not saying to like, you know, people should just get away with stepping on us, like, like, you know, whatever. I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying like, that, that was my take on this situation. I thought, oh, isn't that so interesting that they become the ones that are the in-gatherers of everything after they said he, he isn't welcome. I feel like the other side of it also is when Don said you're not welcome and then he personally got. Correct. I feel like the other side is like, if someone is being mean to you, you don't necessarily need to take that into your body and, and like take their bad energy into yourself and then bring that out. Right, no, right. For sure, his he had made bad choices and therefore he was punished for his bad choices. Like you could, we could have disappointment and not then blame the whole world for our bad choices or the bad luck or whatever it is. True, he made bad choices afterwards, which is why I say they didn't kill him. But... Well, it's also interesting because we talked about the danger of despair. Mm-hmm. And it seems like he wanted to be part of the tribe of Don. And then he went to the court and the court gave him a ruling and he despaired of ever having a place. And so I, he allowed that despair to cut him off from Hashem. He said, like, I, I, I can't fight for a place here, so I'm going to completely or or and perhaps and and maybe maybe similar i don't know but like there were other people who did not have a tribe he was not the only person who didn't have a tribe Mm -hmm. but he said but i have links to a tribe Mm -hmm. shouldn't this work my mother is from this tribe Mm -hmm. and halacha is like mother doesn't tribe doesn't come from mother jewish comes from mother tribe comes from father like there's two different parts of a person and so he's like but can't you just do this one for me and they're like no but there's there is a place for you and he's like but i don't want that to be my place i want my place to be where i think it should be and and torah says but it's not mm-hmm. so it's a it is and then and then what is my response to getting a no you know i was just i was just uh rereading some of the stuff that i had prepared for for yesterday for Yomazi Karon, whatever, because I'm a weirdo and I'm reading it afterwards. But one of the things that we didn't share was uh, there was um, there was a boy, his name was Nachshon Waxman, who was who was kidnapped. I remember it was one of the first things that happened like when I was in Israel. So it was like something that he was kidnapped and then he was missing for a bunch of days and everybody was davening for him. Like Mamish, everybody was davening for him and Arab Shabbos, they were like, everybody should light an extra candle for him. And there was a raid to find him on Shabbos and Matzah Shabbos his parents got the news that he was killed in the raid and they at the funeral 
his father made sure to get his rabbi to speak and say that Hashem answered our prayers. Like, don't think that your prayers went in vain. Sometimes the answer to a prayer is no. It isn't always yes, you know, and sometimes the answer is no. And so I'm saying, here's somebody who wasn't able to get a no as an answer. They only wanted to have the answer that they were ready to have. And so the question for us is like, you know, I tell my kids all the time, don't ask a question if you can't get no as an answer, because it could be no could be the answer to the question. If you only can get a yes and don't ask the question because I'm not guaranteeing that that's the answer. I'm obviously not God. I'm only the mother over here, but still like, I think that in life, we sometimes only allow for one answer and not understanding that sometimes another answer is also an answer. Yeah, of course we want yeses, but but sometimes that isn't the answer that we get. And, and here he did not get a yes. And so therefore his reaction was so not accepting of an answer that wasn't a yes. And it had very, very tragic effects. But I'm saying from the Don part of it was a different, my part of it. I think he like ladies in terms of um, the he was killed at right that point. um it's easier to know that your son was killed than to not know where he is for sure not, you know, not know where, what's going on. for sure for sure but no but it was interesting she said her husband wanted everybody to know that their prayers were answered <clears throat> that god heard all the prayers and that's a very that's a very powerful thing okay we are doing fine for time i'm not the least bit nervous about the time we're going to go back to the beginning of parsha's mr Okay, and we're gonna we're gonna come to a very okay. We're gonna there's a very very famous Rashi at the beginning of Emar. So I'll read the Rashi because not everybody has Rashi. But the beginning of the parsha says, "Ve'omer Hashem al Moshe." Hashem says to Moshe, "Emar el Hakanim, speak to the Kanim, b'nei Aharon, the sons of Aram, va'amarta alehem, and say to them, le'nefesh lo yitame ba'amav, not to become, uh, not to come in contact with the with any dead person." And Rashi immediately has a question that in the same verse, it says Emor twice, right? Why do you have to have the word Emor twice? And so Rashi says, Emor Lakonim. So it's, it uses the word Emor Ve'amarta, two words of Emor. To warn the, the bigger ones, the adults, about the children. Um, and there's a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of conversation about this. And I want to share a couple of thoughts. So one of the nice things about living in Israel is years ago when my oldest son was in Ghan. So he was, you know, he was like five years old or six years old. He came home from school one day and he said, oh, we went, we lived in the old city then. So there were things that were much more, you know, much more easily accessible. We went to wherever he told me someplace in the old city because it was Rosh Chodesh. We went and he says, and like as a throwaway comes, but Yaakov didn't go. I said like, why didn't Yaakov go? And he looked at me like literally like I was crazy. He's like, Yaakov's a Kohen. He's not allowed to go there. Right? He's not allowed to go there. Wherever they were going was someplace that was around graves. Yaakov wasn't allowed, wasn't allowed to go there. Um, uh, another interesting thing, I was with my daughter. I told him, my daughter who's married to a coin and her, her mother-in-law is not alive. And she wanted to go, when we, she was in New York, she wanted to go visit her mother-in-law. And I don't know if I said, I don't know how the conversation came up. She was coming with her children. And I said, can Mendel go to, can Mendel go? He's he was 10 months old at the time and he was not allowed to go to the cemetery because he's a male Kohanim. The, the laws of the, for the Kohanim are only for the male Kohanim who are going to work in the place of Mikdash. Lahazik Dolom means that we are in charge of the education for people who are younger than us, whether in age or in knowledge. And it was, it, to me, it was such an interesting thing. Like Torah was talking about a 10 month old Kohanim. In fact, 
there is a conversation and some of the in some of the in some of the early codifiers if a woman is married to a Kohen and she's pregnant um, well, it's not, it can't be the early codifiers, it came up more recently. Does she have to, does she have to prevent herself? The early codifiers talk about, does she, is she not allowed to go to a cemetery or come in contact with dead because she might be carrying a, a male, which is going to be a you know, male coin. And the later commentary, commentators ask the question, does she have to do like a sonogram and find out if it's a child, a, a male, and then does she have to be careful because she, it's complicated and I don't, they didn't come up with a resolution, but the question was raised of paying attention to the, to, to children. And, um, and we use this like kind of, there was a lot of conversation that I saw about this and, and some of the things that I want to, I want to share a couple of thoughts on this. First of all, um, you know, this place of being responsible educationally for people who are younger or younger or less knowledgeable than ourselves. This is one of the places where we have that, that obligation, you know, to say, oh, they're little and they don't know and they can't, whatever, is, is not necessarily, uh, you know, educational. But what's also very interesting is that the word lahaz here, which means to warn, also comes from the word, anybody? Another word? Lahaz here? Like to be careful. Well, lahaz here means to be careful, yeah. But it shares the same root as, anybody? Zohar, Zohar, to shine, to shine. And the question is, how do we educate? How do we, uh, you know, how do we make sure that they don't? And the question is, do we say, blah, 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 you can't do this? Or do we shine, A, their potential? And B, do we shine, are we shining examples of what they should be doing so that we you know, that's how they learn, that they learn from the shining example that we are and that we're able to, and that we're able to, you know, teach them that way, not just like yank them out of the way, which Lahaz here kind of feels like, you know, kid, you know, any of you ever go driving with a parent and you're sitting in the front seat, it doesn't matter if you're wearing a seatbelt or not, but as soon as they make a short stop, they do this, <laughs> you know, <laughs> right? I'm like, I'm wearing a seatbelt, you don't have to whack me in the chest, right? But like, that's not necessarily the best educational uh, model, like just a yank them out of danger. Sometimes you need to, sometimes you need to, but the place of illuminating it is, is very, is very important. And what's interesting is one of the Bali Musser, his name's Rev Druk, he brings this idea of, um, you know, that like a lot of people ask, why do we have this educational lesson here? And he says that a Kohen runs into a very interesting phenomena because little Kohanim don't live in a vacuum and they're at home and their parents say, you're a Kohen, you can't do fill in the blanks. You can't go to the cemetery. You can't do whatever it is that you can't do, right? And then he goes to play with his friends in school who are not Kohanim and their parents are doing other stuff and they're doing other stuff and they don't have these prohibitions. And so for him to be able to, be proud and strong of what he is and who he is is much harder because he's there's there's one city I think in Greece that it was a, a city only of Kohanim. Um, I might be wrong about the country. I'll, I'll have to find it. There's everybody there was Kohanim, but in general, Kohanim lived with everybody else. And so, how do you instill pride in your child when they're up against other people who are doing good things, who are doing you know they're living this similar life to what we are doing. And yet 
I have extra restrictions. I have extra things that I have to do and be careful about. And how do you give them pride and not resentment about it? And how do you like make them understand that just because it's okay for that person doesn't mean it's, it's okay for you because you're in a different status. And when I was, when I was learning this, I was thinking to myself, like, it's so true of us as we go in the world and how we interact with other people. You know, you live in communities and these are our values. These are our family's values based on Torah, based on where we come from and who we are and what we've decided. And then what happens when you come up against other Torah Jews who are doing things very differently? And, and, and how do we navigate that space of encouraging my child or enabling my child to stick to what our values are? And, and not feeling resentful and not saying, but they're doing it. And why can you know, they can eat that. And I can eat it. Like it, I, I thought that's like kind of my, my tag on thought was like, how true is that as parents in education? And how do we, it's true of Kohana with non-Kohana, but it's also true of us as we work, as we, you know, live in the world and how do we kind of, and we have to, the only, only way that that could have, that has any chance of success is if it's Lahazir, if we are, shining examples of what we believe in and who we are and what we are and we're not embarrassed and we're not hypocrites and we're just really beautiful shining examples of the life that we want to be and the life that we want to live and how we you know what is our expectation of ourselves and therefore we, you know it's not like oh my children should do I don't have to, but my children have to. But when we are in fact paradigms of what we're talking about, then then, then we have a chance for success because otherwise it's not even, it's not it's not even happening. Um, I'm going to take two minutes. And I'm going to finish with one more thought, which the, the Rebbe brings in. Look at the Sichas. He brings very like uh, he brings a Torah and he says that there are three places throughout the throughout you know the Torah where it uses this expression of having the older people guard the younger people. It talks about it here with Tuma and Tahara, right? Because here, somebody who comes in contact with the dead doesn't look any different. It doesn't show up on a microscope. There's no, there's no way to measure what that is. It's, it's all a hoke. It's all something that we, it's not rational. So this is one place. And in two other places, it has it. One is when it talks about the prohibition about eating blood, it uses the expression that, he, and, and the, the commentators bring that to have the older people watch the younger people. Um, and also for eating bugs. And so the Rebbe's like, what's, what's, what's the thread over here? What's going on over here? So eating bugs, because most of us come from Western civilizations where that's not the norm. We don't actually eat bugs on a regular basis. Um, it's in some cultures it's, it is, but it's not our culture. Um, it's somebody who's beside, unless you have like a little child who will literally put everything in their mouth. So they don't count in this conversation, but like people who eat bugs, it's like, I don't, know how to, I don't know what this word is in English, but in Yiddish, there's somebody called a dafkenik. It's like, you said I, you said not to do this, I'm dafkenik going to do it. So like, I don't know how you say that. In, I don't know if there is an English word for that, right? And when you come up against somebody who is a dafkenik, like whatever you say, I'm saying the opposite, we might say, okay, we're going to just like skirt this and not take responsibility for that, for their behavior, because whatever I say, they're going to do the opposite. Like that's just their, their attitude is very adverse, adversarial, ad, adversary. no, ad, not an adversary, but how, what is the behavior of an adversary? Adversary. Of adversarial. Okay. I missed the, the L at the end. I was, I knew there was a word that ended with an L. Ad, right. They're just like, 
antagonistic and they're angry and like that's where they're doing it. And we could say, ah, let somebody else worry about them, but they're ours and they're our responsibility and we can't. We also have this obligation to take care of their education. And the place of blood that the people coming out of Egypt, eating blood was very normal. It was very, very normal. It was like everybody was doing it. And so then we come up with somebody who, this is their habit. I've been doing this my whole life. I'm always like this. I've, everybody's doing this, right? Everybody's going, okay, I do. Everybody's going to jump off the road, you know? But um, everybody's doing it. How do I fight that? Everybody's doing it. Everybody has it. Everybody. It's the norm. It's natural. Everybody has it. And Torah says, no, we have to put our foot down on education, not just put our foot down, but really to illuminate education in that place where it's their nature. They've you know, never been trained differently. They've been taught differently, but it's just so normal and natural. We can, we can have an impact over there and over here also as well. We talk about something where we can't see and we can't touch and we can't measure it. But to say, can we teach it and can we inspire people to know and to behave in a way that touches their deeper, a deep side of them, not just only the rational side, but like that place of the neshama that says like, how can we awaken the neshama in somebody else? We don't have to only be rational. We also have to be rational. We also have to be logical. We also have to explain, but we also have to trust that the neshama wants to be fed uh, spirituality. So I want to wish us, give us a bracha that we have the ability to speak to ourselves and to speak to other people. But first and foremost, to speak to ourselves, to the, to the child in us who just wants to kick and scream and say, no, 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 no. But I want to give us a bracha that we understand that we are capable of growing and doing and being so much and, and, and can do so much and can have such a large effect. And we should not be afraid to speak to ourselves and not demand, but shine beauty and life so that we are capable, so that we step into that place, what we're capable of. Have an awesome rest of the day.